0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, Life as Gift, Not Gain. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If we haven't met, my name is Zach. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. If you're new here, I just want to reiterate, we're so thankful that you're here. We'd love to get to know you. you can, we have a, get, a gift for you at the Blue Start Here sign. We'd love to see you there. Or maybe you're here and you're coming back for, you haven't been back for a while, you've been back for a few weeks, and you're thinking like this, you're like, okay, I, I remember this church, but I don't know half the people in this room. We seem like we've got the old church and we've got a lot of people that are new and I don't know who they are. Well, one of the reasons we're doing these family picnics this summer, our first one's next week, is we want to have a family meal where people get to connect with people they haven't met or haven't talked to in a long time. So if you want to be a part of that, you can just be here next week during the 11 o'clock service, or you can come to nine o'clock and go home and come back. We'll have a picnic right outside. Uh, We'd love to see you there, especially if you're new, to meet people at our church and get connected to our church. I also want to remind you that this is a season of our budget year that we're finishing up our budget year. So this Sunday and next Sunday, those weeks, are finishing our budget year. And we are like, Inches away from meeting our budget, and like just a couple more dollars, literally, just just sacrificial generosity will go lead us to going into the new budget year with freedom and joy to be able to use our money for the work of our ministry. So I should encourage you if you're a member or faithful and tender to give and give sacrificially, not because God will love you more, but because God has generously giving life to you. If you want to do that, there's giving boxes in the back or a really helpful way to do that is on the app. If you haven't downloaded our app, it's super easy to give online. So if you haven't, I encourage you, invite you into the life of our church through your generosity. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Gen- uh, Not Genesis. We're not in Genesis yet. That's in the fall. Just foreshadowing. Um, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll be starting in verse 10. So if you have a Bible, and encourage you to turn there. If, there's a, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. I encourage you to keep that open. We'll be referencing back to that book um, this whole time. So if you're there, I'd love if you'd stand and join me for the reading of this word. We start reading in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He also put eternity into their hearts. But no one can discover the work that God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It also is a gift from God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that the people will be in awe of him. Whoever is already has been. Whatever will be already is. Whoever God seeks justice for the persecuted I Also observed under the sun, there is wickedness at the place of judgment, and there is wickedness in the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, since there is a time for every activity and every work. I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam; they may see for themselves that they are like the animals, for the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. One dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals. Since everything is futile, all are going to the same place. All come from dust and all will return to dust. Who knows if the spirits of the children of Adam go upward, the spirits of animals go downward to earth. I've seen that there's nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? Again, I observe all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. So I commend the dead who have already died more than the living who are alive. But better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray. Father, we we come to your Bible by faith, believing that you wrote it as complex and as disorienting as it is. So we ask that you give us faith to believe it. You give us power to comprehend it. And you give us the faith to obey it. Father, we pray for the people in our church that are going through a season that may feel like Solomon right now. We pray for the Weisels who've endured this hard stuff after hard stuff, losing a parent and another tragedy with their Michael's mom. And probably just give them healing. You give his mom healing as he recovers. Will you help them know that this church loves them and that all the other stories in this church that have went through something similar in the recent weeks and months. Father, we, we want to be a church that cares for the broken. and Give us the ability to do that. We ask you to speak this morning from your word. In your beautiful son's Jesus name, amen. You guys can be seated. There are a lot of things in this life that will cause you doubt. So maybe you're a high schooler and you have this constant doubt if somebody likes you or wants to be your friend. Maybe you're an adult and he ask, do my kids like me? <laughs> do my kids wanna hang out with me, wanna spend time with me? Maybe you've questioned or doubted your career. Like, do I really love this job? Why am I spent all my life doing this thing? And if you're honest, you have doubts about the Christian life. Well, maybe I'm not projecting on you. Maybe I'll just be honest and say, yes, one of your pastors and probably all of your pastors have seasons or moments where we have doubts. I'd be lying if I didn't say, like, there's nights I put my head on my pillow and think, do I really believe all this stuff? Do I really believe that the eternal and invisible God manifested as a baby in a virgin's womb and lived as an infant and a toddler and a kid on this world? Do I really believe that? Do I really believe a man was swallowed by a well and then sped up three days later? Do I really believe that people have died and they were buried? And suddenly rose again. I'd be lying if I didn't say there's doubts at times in my darkest moments. And honestly, that's when the Spirit is most comforting, when I'm honest about where I am. I know you didn't sign up for Zach's counseling session this morning, but just just being honest about some of the seasons that the Lord can bring me to, and one of the doubts that one of the things that causes us most doubt about the Christian faith or how we live is this reality that we experience the harshness of this world with also knowing the power and goodness of God. So we live in this world full of harshness, full of injustices, full of pain. And we know that our Bible says that God is good and powerful and Sovereign. And if we're willing to be honest, that disorients us because we have trouble believing both those truths. And it can cause doubts. And those doubts are, are genuine. But I think Solomon, the preacher, invites us to, to use that reality and actually live unto it. Here's the invitation I think Solomon is bringing for us this morning. That the harshness of this world is an invitation to trust God's heart, to enjoy this life, and to comfort the broken. The harshness of this world invites us to trust God's heart, to enjoy this life, to comfort The broken, that's what I want to show you this morning from our text. So let's pick up in verse 10. Look what it says. I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work that God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It's also a gift of God when everyone, anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts. And listen to verse 14. I know that everything that God does will last forever. There is no adding to it and no taking from it. God works so that the people will be in awe of him. Whatever is already has been, and whatever will be already is. God seeks justice for the persecuted. The preacher is talking about this inner longing. that he, he knows that we just talk about these seasons. He's writing about these seasons, and he knows it's disorienting to us. Like, like Lyle talked about last week, we have week and month and year after year that's different and disorienting, and we don't know what to do about that. And he says to us that we have a God that actually put that longing in our hearts to not like it. So verse 11 is a key to not only this text, but the whole book of Ecclesiastes. He says, he has put eternity in their hearts. What does that mean? He's put this inner longing in each of our design to want permanence, to want peace, to want consistency. And the world around us gives us the opposite It gives us seasons. It gives us harshness. It gives us injustices. And we don't know what to do with that. And that longing for something better is God's good design in you. He's put eternity in your heart. And that's actually your doubts, your longings, your desire is actually fruit of God's care for you. It's God's design in you. You want to ask, how can a good God do these harsh things? Well, that very question is proof of God's goodness. That you're longing for something better, and the reason you're longing for something better is because God has designed you in a unique way. And he says in verse 14, he says that, that this is always God has done everything to make us in awe of him. We have to trust that by faith, we have to believe that by faith. He says, whatever will, he's planned everything from beginning to end, and whatever is has already been, whatever will be already is. He's working all this out. That's challenging, us, challenging for us to believe because of the chaos in which we see this close. Because when we turn on our TV, we don't think God is working. When we open our social media, we don't see God is working. In the chaos, it's hard to believe that God planned this life. He's working. One of the things that, I do that drives my wife nuts is I take my, our two-year-old it turns two this week and I will pick him up and I will throw him really high. And she's terrified of this because she knows the calamity of me dropping it and my historical clumsiness. And so I pick him up and we have really high ceilings in our living room. And there's times where I get him almost two stories high. I can get him really high. And I, part of me wants to do that now because he's growing at a rate in which I will not be able to do that soon. This kid is eating more calories than I can throw at, at his table, but he's growing and he, I'm throwing him up and I can, he loves it. Up, 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 up. And I throw him up and he, he's full of smiles while over in the corner, Caitlin's like yelling, Zach, stop. Because she knows that if he falls, it's an ER visit. <laughs> There's pain. He's, he's going to be hurt. He may be hurt really seriously. You know who doesn't know about the consequences of the fall? My son in the middle of the air. Full of smiles, full of joy. He sees the things that could hurt him, but he doesn't know how in which they will hurt him. He's faced bumps and bruises, but as he glides through the air of our living room, he knows with confidence, my dad's never dropped me. He's going to catch me. As we enter this life of chaos and injustices and brokenness, yes, we see the things that have hurt us and will hurt us, We see the consequences of our actions, but what we don't see is the loving hands of our gracious Father who will catch us. He will. It may not be tomorrow, it may not be the next day, it may not be next year. When we can't see our Father's hands, we must trust His heart that He's working. He's good. He's doing this for a reason. So how do we endure this harsh life? What is Solomon inviting us to? To trust God's heart when we can't see his hands. But he goes further, even more sobriety to this chaotic life. Pick up with me in verse 16. I also observed under the sun, there's wickedness at the place of judgment. There's wickedness in the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work. I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam and they may see for themselves that they are like the animals. For the fate of the children of Adam And the fate of the animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. All are going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Who knows that the spirits of the children of Adam go upward and the spirits of the animals go downward to the earth. I have seen that there's nothing better For a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? So, what the preacher is trying to show us is like, yes, God is working, he's planned it all, but this world is still harsh. He says there's wickedness in the place of judgment, there's wickedness in the place of righteousness. What the preacher is calling out is the injustices of the world. If he, he isn't saying this here, but he was a king who probably executed injustices. He's probably someone that he's talking about. I think it's important for us to distinguish, however, that there's difference between a crime, wickedness, and injustices. He's not talking about rapid, rampant wickedness throughout the nation. He's talking about wickedness at the seat of, of judgment, and wickedness at the seat of righteousness. Injustices aren't crimes. Injustices aren't people doing bad things. Injustice is when the people who are supposed to model and uphold righteousness actually practice wickedness. That's what injustice is. It's significantly different than just people doing bad things. So the people in society or in a nation that are supposed to be the models and the carriers of justice acting wicked, that's injustice. And the preacher calls it out. And, and it's poignant that he says there's wickedness at the place of righteousness. We, we call this spiritual abuse. The person that's supposed to hold up righteousness, supposed to be the godly person, the post, person that's supposed to be modeling and upholding godliness is acting wicked. And I'd love to say like, this is rare. This is the Old Testament thing. But to be honest, this is a church thing. Too many examples of people within the church using spiritual authority and wielding it for wickedness. They sway people to do the thing they want through their leadership, to get what they want. They cause physical harm to children and women. And this is not rare. This is story after story of people being thrown in jail. And it's wicked. And not only people doing it, but people helping them cover it up. It's wicked. It's anti-gospel. And here's the trauma of spiritual abuse: because people see this figure that's modeling godliness and modeling what it means to uphold godliness, and that person that they, they revere and they love is the exact person causing the harm that they are feeling. And this trauma lingers with them the rest of their life, and it actually messes up their, their life with God. Because the person they thought was the godliest person in the world is the one that caused the most wicked harm in their life. And so they live the rest of their life projecting that wicked person as a glimpse of God. And they carry it over and over again. It's wicked. And Solomon calls it out. It's not only in the church and in other churches, it's in the world where people that see it, sit in authority use their authority for wickedness. And it's paralyzing. If I'm honest, it's paralyzing because all of our stories aren't the story of the Hunger Games. We are not Katniss Everdeen versus President Snow. We will not just conquer the wicked people. For many of us, we look at these issues and we think there's nothing we can do. There's no way we can endure. Well, Solomon gives us a couple of ways to navigate that. One, he says that he, God, will judge the wicked and the righteous. He will crush the wicked. It may not feel like God has any feelings toward wickedness because he's not executing judgment right now, but you need to know by faith, God will execute judgment on the wicked. That's a promise. We see it here. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in Revelation where God will punish the evildoer. He will. Psalm 5, God hates evil and God hates the evildoer. Wickedness has no place in God's sight, in God's presence. He will judge the wicked. But that doesn't help some of us because we feel the pain right now. Our sisters feel the pain right now. Our, our, there's children that feel the pain right now. How do we know that God cares? Well, One, we, we know that he will judge, but two, we know he's patient with the wicked Romans 2 says his patience and forbearance is to aim at the repentance of people. Listen, if God judged the wicked immediately, there would be a lot of people in the Bible not in heaven. David would not be in heaven. A man that stole another man's wife, he was in authority, a king, and covered that up by killing the man. If God God executed judgment on David right then, David would not be in heaven. If God executed judgment on, on people immediately, Paul would not have written any epistles. He would not be in heaven. He would not know God as he took the code to the people killing Christians. God would have killed him right then in judgment. And just just to be honest with you, if God executed judgment immediately, me and you would not be Christians. Everybody wants justice unless it's justice for them. That doesn't negate the justice we want. It just says that we have a gracious God who cares about, hates wickedness, and acts graciously. And that is most seen in the person and work of Jesus. You want to know how much God hates wickedness? Look at the brutality of the cross. You see our king hanging there, beaten unjustly, cruelly dehumanized, And at the same time, if you want to see how much God loves sinners, look at the cross. Facing injustice for the wicked. And he says to them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God will judge one day, but he's gracious today because he wants sinners to turn and put their faith in Jesus. He wants to change lives. And he goes on to say that this, these, our, our lives are no better than animals. And somehow he thinks this is encouraging. Uh, like he thinks that us realizing we're no better than animals, that we can enjoy this life. And part of it, we, instead of baptizing this and what we do know, we need to sit in what we know. We are just like the animals. Friend, you will live and you will eat food and you will drink and you will die and your body will be put in a box. And you put in the ground, and your body will turn to dust, just like the animals. That's our life. He says that who knows whether uh, man, children of man will go up to heaven or. Animals go to earth. Obviously, he hasn't got the special revelation that a lot of us already have through the epistles and the gospels, but he, he hasn't realized that, yes, dogs do go to heaven and cats will go to hell. He hasn't been revealed that yet. <laughs> but we need to live in that tension that our humanity, as we experience this life, is futile. It's vanity. We will live and we will die, and there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know when we die. We, if we can speculate all we want. We know what Revelation says. We know what some of the epistles say, but we don't really know what heaven's going to be like and how we're going to get there. We know we'll be with Jesus, and we'll be with God. And here's what he says. Enjoy the life you have, because you don't know a lot about the next. Enjoy the life you have because you don't know a lot about the next. One pastor said it like this: don't, "Do not let what you do not know rob you from enjoying the life you have today. Do not let the things you do not know rob you from a life you can enjoy today. How do we endure this harsh world? We enjoy our families. We eat good food. We drink good drink. We have laughter and joy. We're present where our feet are. Because tomorrow has its own problems. And the next day has its own problems. And the next day has its own problems. So live the life you have. Solomon and God's inviting you. Enjoy your life. because It's the life I've given to you. He invites us to something else. Look at, pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter four. Look at the tears of the oppressed. He's he's pointing our directions, not he's moving from our own inward life. He says, I look at the tears of the oppressed. He's seeing the oppression around him. He may be even seeing the oppression that he's done. He says, there's no one to comfort them. No one is seeing their tears. He says, it's better to be dead than be alive and face the harshness of this world. And you wouldn't say that, right? You wouldn't say that verbally, but if you're a parent in this room, there's something in you that says, yeah, I'd I'd rather my kids be with Jesus than endure what I've endured. If you're in your most honest moment, you'd be willing to admit that. And that's what Solomon's saying. This world is harsh. The oppression is real. And we as Christians are paralyzed by it sometimes. No, we're here. We're not dead. We don't wish to be dead. So what do we do? How do we engage? How do we interact? How do we live in a world that people are treated unjustly and oppressed? Why don't you just start while just being present? See them. Christians have no option to turn a blind eye toward oppression and wickedness. Look at their tears. Look at their pain. Feel it with them. Most acutely, the people of this church that are feeling pain, feel it with them. But as our neighbors feel wickedness, Harshness, feel it with them. One of the tools that God has given us to feel the pain of others is what the Bible calls lament. My former pastor and friend Mark Rogup explains lament like this: that a lament is prayer in pain that leads to trust. A lament is prayer and pain that leads to trust. You see this in David's life. David is facing wickedness and a lot of his psalms are lamenting the oppression of his life. Solomon, Saul's trying to kill me. Help me. My son's trying to kill me. Lord, what about this? How are we going to do it? His armies are surrounding me. Lord, do something about this. David spent most of his life under oppression from wicked leaders. His his tool, his medium to express that the God was called lament. And when we see the oppression and pain of our sisters and our brothers and even our children, we can enter that with them through lament by praying with them. Asking God to, to, to do something about their experience. Complain to God about the pain of this world. It's what the Bible does. What a minute enables you to do is get your heart connected with somebody else in their pain. Because what we're tempted to do is get our ideas, get our minds, and get our hands to action to help somebody, and our hearts are following behind us. So we start with learning and education, it's like sharing ideas, sharing facts, sharing details, and our hearts are longing behind us because we haven't entered the pain they've entered. Lament is able to sit down with somebody you may disagree with politically or sociologically or even in the Christian faith, and you can pray that God heal their pain. You don't argue about facts. You don't argue about ideas. You just weep with those who weep. When you do that, you can't unhear their stories. You can't unfeel their pain. You catch their tears as they weep. I can't, I can't unhear and unfeel the pain, the stories of my black brothers and sisters and the experience they have in this world. I can't unhear that. I can't unfeel that. I can't unfeel, unhear the stories when I meet with my friend Diana who leads a loving choice, a a crisis pregnancy center of the stories over and over again of these women who come through their door thinking that, that ending their baby's life is the best option and that's all due to a wicked and unjust law that our system has allowed them to think. I can't unfeel that. I can't unhear that. And, and lament allows me to enter the pain of a young lady, of a neighbor, and see it and feel how their hearts been, been shaken by oppression and injustices. But I don't, you, I don't want you to stop at being present. I don't want you to start at being present. Start with men, But I want you to do something. I think the Bible calls us to do something. When we see oppression in the world, we don't have the option of going the other direction. So that means voting for people who wield authority in righteousness. That means standing up for that Kroger cashier that's being berated by the person in front of you. That means being present with people who, can, who talk to you about being abused or being hurt by a family member or even their husband and not indicting them or investigating them, but keep making them feel safe. It means giving money and resources and energy to ministries like A Loving Choice who are on the front lines of fighting injustices like abortion in our city. It means raising kids that are compassionate, that stand up to the bullies, that stand up for the young lady who's getting treated horribly by her boyfriend. Do something. And I'm not calling us to be activists or warriors. I'm calling us to be Christians. The loving presence of God in the world. That's what the Bible is calling us to. To comfort the broken. And they are easy to be found because this world is harsh. Get to know your neighbor. Hear their story. Find out who the kids that your friends, your, your kids are friends with at your school. My guess is there's somebody in your kid's classroom that's in a dark situation. Find, see the pain that people wear when they walk through the church, these church doors. We don't have to go look under rocks. It's in our very streets. So may we be a church that doesn't just signal that we care about the broken and the oppression. We get our hands dirty, to care with our hearts, our whole bodies, that people need help and we can do something about it because of what God's done for us. This world is harsh and it feels like it's elongated. It feels like it's forever. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. King is that, yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. One day, there will be a day of no harshness, and we're with our Father in heaven, and we're completely whole, and our tears wiped away. But until then, with all our doubts, with all our issues, with all our brokenness, Trust God's heart. Enjoy this life and comfort the broken. Let's pray. Sit in silence for a second. Just let the Lord speak to you however He needs to speak to you or nudge you where you need nudging, comfort you where you need comforting, convict you where you need convicting. Father, we thank you for being a justice-seeking God who doesn't turn his eye away from the hurting. Father, thank you for acting merciful to us in spite of what we deserve. Father, speak to us. As we move out of here, may we be the presence of your glory to the world. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. Part of this harshness will just feel impossible. It'll feel like this is a big mountain you're looking at and you don't know what to do about it. And the beauty of each and every week is that this does not depend on you. So we break this bread like Jesus broke this bread, reminded that God's body was broken to end all calamity and to save your soul. And his cup, the blood that was shed by him, murdered by unjust, righteous people. We can drink this cup knowing that he was treated unjustly so that we have peace forever with God. And if you want to know what it means, you're not hearing, don't call yourself a Christian. I'd love to talk to you about what that means this morning. So as you take communion, there's tables all around the room, encourage you to come to one of those tables with a group of people, maybe a few people in your row and take the elements and go back to your seat and remember the mercy of the Lord. Let's take communion. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.